Join Josh, Chris, and myself as we launch out onto the loop today as Chris shares some thoughts about his iterative process of taking something that started as a conversation that became uh, places where he could speak and it turned into a book to help people called Overcoming the Imposter. Join us as we launch out onto the loop today on Curiosity Continuum. Everybody, we have a special guest on the podcast today. His name is Chris Kelso. Chris, say hi to everybody, please. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. So Chris and I know each other from uh, getting to know each other through networking and professional rodeos and have connected personally as well at those meetings. He's done something pretty fun, and uh, he has a book coming out called Overcoming the Imposter. What we wanted to talk about today on the podcast was his iteration to take what was not a book <laughs> at the very beginning of it and like right. get to book. That's a oversimplification. But uh, Chris, can you tell us, well, so your book is coming out when? Uh, it launched on January 19th. Okay. Very, very good. So uh, congratulations on that. I know it's always a big, big thing to kind of work through the, the book writing process. Can yeah, you? it was a big deal. Sure. Can you start... At the very beginning, when this idea first came to you, you know, you might say it came to me in a dream or a vision after you hit your head, you know, and you saw a flux capacitor. Yeah. It might be like that. <laughs> <laughs> but what was the initial thing that you started with? Like, what's the seed that? So the, the book is called Overcoming the Imposter, and it's about imposter syndrome, which uh, is a topic that. A lot of good, good number of people are talking about these days, but there's still a lot of people who've never heard of it. So real quick definition, just for anybody who's yeah. wondering what in the world is that. Uh, imposter syndrome is a psychological term that uh, was actually coined in the 1970s. And it refers to the tendency of many people, it turns out, to doubt their own success and accomplishments. And what, what they do is they overvalue other people's success and their accomplishments and undervalue their own accomplishments. So for instance, you know, I might look at Brian Shun and say, Brian's successful because he's smart and he's savvy and he makes all the right moves and he's, you know, done a lot of things well. Whereas my success is really the result of a lot of luck and good timing and just happening to know the right people who helped me get connected and and I know all the mistakes that I've made or all the, the near misses that I've had and all the ways it could have gone horribly wrong. And I feel like to some degree, maybe I'm a little bit of a fraud. Maybe, um, you know, maybe I'm just making this up as I go and I don't really know what I'm doing. And the underlying fear behind imposter syndrome is that sooner or later, everybody's going to figure out that I'm just making this up as I go. And, and at that point, I'm going to be exposed as an imposter and, and it's all gonna come crumbling down around me. And it turns out that a lot of people, uh, up to 70% of the population from some uh, studies that I've read uh, have experienced this at some point in their career. And a lot of entrepreneurs experience this. So back to your question, you know, the journey for me started, um, well, it started back when I first started my company uh, over 14 years ago. Um, 
And I had no business training. I didn't even have a college degree. So I was, I remember going to a big bookstore and buying a stack of books uh, on everything I thought I needed to know to run a business, right? How to write contracts, finances, um, how to pitch a consulting engagement, just anything I thought I needed to know. And I just read them all and kind of got to work. And there was a lot of trial and error involved. And along the way, I, I always kind of felt like, you know, people were accepting me and they were being nice to me and they were treating me like a, a owner of a small business, but maybe they're just being nice to me. Maybe they're just being friendly. They're just, you know, I felt like maybe the, the little kid who plays with the big boys and they hand them the ball and pretend they can't tackle them and they just let them run to the end zone to right. cheer right. them on, you know, and like everybody's <laughs> just being so nice. And so there was this sort of persistent, you know, nagging voice in the back of my head that would say things like, you don't really know what you're doing and you don't, you're the, you're the person that doesn't deserve to be sitting here at this table. And, and, you know, you're the only uh, non-entrepreneur in this entrepreneur group. They're, they just don't realize that, uh, that you don't, you're not at the caliber that the rest of these people are. And, but I didn't know what to call that. And I didn't even know it was a thing right, until right. many years later. Um, and it was actually in a conversation with an executive coach when he mentioned imposter syndrome. And so I looked it up and did some research. And when I read about it, I said, oh my goodness, I have totally felt that way. I've experienced that, you know, in many ways in a lot of different circumstances. And so fast forward a little bit in, in uh, about three years ago, I think it was, I wrote an article on a website called Quora. It's a question and answer website yeah. where people can ask questions and other people can answer them. And everyone's a doctor and all that on there. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so uh, somebody posed the question, what do entrepreneurs struggle with most? And so I wrote an answer about imposter syndrome. I referenced some materials, some things that I had read at that point, I had been looking at it and studying it a little bit. And I had talked to a lot of entrepreneurs who felt that way. And the article went crazy. It got like 50,000 views almost and nothing I've ever written has gotten that kind of traction before. And so I knew that I was on to something. I knew I had struck a nerve. Right. There was something there. So can and I interject so, for a second? So sure, basically, yeah. when you said you posted an article on Quora, that meant that you were kind of already engaged in a community where you're listening to people's questions, right? Is that Yeah, like- absolutely. Absolutely. I had answered a handful of other questions about entrepreneurship and, uh, and was engaging with people and, and, and yeah, trying to provide some value uh, to that community. And this right. one question just happened to be the one that a lot of people were really, really interested in. Okay. Cool. So go ahead, Josh. No, I was just like, that's cool because you were already taking the first step to try to help people anyway. Absolutely. And I, you know, I've had a lot of people help me through my entrepreneurial sure. journey and so I've always tried to make time to help other people. And, yeah. you know, the, a lot of the people that helped me, there's not much that I can offer them. I can't, I can't do a lot for them. They're either further along in their career. Uh, some of them at this point are retired or semi-retired. And, um, and so I just decided to take sort of a pay it forward approach to, you know, people helped me and I'm going to help the next person and hope that then they help somebody else along down the chain. So I have always tried to to make time to uh, to to spend time with people that are starting a new business or working on an idea. Um, I volunteer at the Nashville Entrepreneur Center and things like that. And sure. 
Um, and then and answering questions on a site like Cora was just sort of a way of doing that and contributing to the, the community. And, and I think that's important, too, because nobody gets to where they are by themselves. I mean, you always have some kind of help. I mean, I don't, I don't know anybody that's just, you know, all of a sudden rich and famous. You know, they, they're getting well, Josh yeah. has become rich and famous uh, <laughs> on his own accord. So absolutely. And, 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 you know, people want to talk about someone being a, a self-made man or woman. And right. I know the intention there is to say that their, their wealth or their life wasn't handed to them, that they had to work for it. Right. And, and we all have to work for it and we should have to work for it. But you're right. Nobody, nobody does it completely alone and isolated. It's always through relationships and connection that value is created, that uh, ideas are sparked and, and germinated right. and, and that things get done. Um, very few people can do it all on their own. Um, and probably no one can do anything really significant on their own. All right. That's, that's, that's really cool. So how did you take that idea from the Quora when you were on there and you did that? How did you iterate that idea and bring it forward? So once, once I knew there was, I had struck a nerve and there was something there, I, um, I started to talk more about it, right? I started to ask sure. people more intentionally in conversations about imposter syndrome. Um, I started to share my own story with people. And there's a good bit about that in my book about you know, how I learned the power of opening up and being vulnerable and sharing your own fears and weaknesses and insecurities with other people. And it strengthens you and them at the same time. And so I started uh, speaking about imposter syndrome. I, I was invited to speak at a couple of conferences. And, and fortunately, in a few instances, at least, they said, you know, come talk and whatever you want to talk about, we're, you know, we're open. And so I started talking about imposter syndrome to some audiences and literally would have uh, someone come up to me after a, a, a speaking engagement and say, you changed my life today. That your wow, talk yeah. is the reason I yeah. came to this. Like, I, I didn't know that's why I was here, but that's why I'm here is to hear your talk. And that totally transformed my viewpoint on my career. And, and, and so I'm sitting there going, oh my goodness, there's powerful, so much yeah. Yeah, impact. Powerful. Right. Just explaining. And, and so often I've found that just explaining imposter syndrome to someone is half the battle. It relieves that pressure when they realize that, oh, that's a thing. And it's not just me. It's lots of people. And it's, you know, it, I'm not inferior. I'm like all the other people that are struggling in this, in the same way. And so, you know, the more I talked about it, the more I felt the need to talk about it. And, and eventually, after enough of those conversations, I just said, okay, there's, there's something really significant here. And I, I started to do some research on what books were available on imposter syndrome. And there are quite a few that have been written over the years, but many of them were written to, um, a lot of them are written to women because okay. imposter syndrome was originally thought to be mostly a woman's problem. And eventually some genius figured out that men get insecure too. And it's <laughs> not just a female problem. It's, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, but I still run into people who think it's just a woman's thing. Like just, only women, you know, struggle with that kind of insecurity. But statistically, study multiple studies have shown that men and women uh, deal with this equally. It's just women tend to be more open and honest about it. Sure. There's books written to women. There's some, there's some materials and studies done about college students entering the workforce and these kind of things. What I didn't find was anything that specifically addressed entrepreneurship. And 
And that's my community. Those are my people. That's the circles that I run in. And that's right. where I have seen it over and over uh, and seen it really pervasively. So I said, okay, there's not a, re- a resource for entrepreneurs on this. I'm, I'm going to create it. That's wonderful. Um, here's, I think, something too, that sometimes when you have multiple things that you can do, the focus aspect, almost it feels limiting, but it actually gives you I think better context for people to understand you. So you said like your community was entrepreneurs and obviously you've been entrepreneurial now for many years for it. You could probably generally talk to many folks about it and you'd find that. Uh, I would imagine that in the entrepreneur community, just because especially like you don't want to go and say, Hey, I'm an entrepreneur and I don't know what I'm doing. Even though there's a good amount of, I don't know what I'm doing (laughs) going on in the background. Right. 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 There's a lot of that. Um, it seems to me, and I know like when we had our conversation, just to share that story, uh, I could definitely I'd go like, oh yeah, like I can totally relate to that just because sometimes it's so close to you that you don't realize that that's valuable to somebody else and not to it's like your average is somebody else's amazing. And I don't mean that in a, any kind of denigration sort of way, but it's, can you talk about a little bit where you had to overcome certain things and how you wrote this to message people so that they valued what they had in their hands. I think sometimes people have blind spots to what's so obvious to them. Yeah. Yeah. You know, throughout the, the process of writing the book and, and, you know, let me say that I struggled with imposter syndrome about writing a book. (laughs) This is an honest moment. (laughs) Sure. And in particular, I struggled with feeling unqualified to write a book about imposter syndrome because I was still feeling imposter syndrome about writing a book. If that makes sense. That makes sense. And And I'll tell you that I felt that you were very qualified to write the book because you've been talking about it to groups and everything. So, um, you know, it was a logical step for me just as we've, you know, I see see your post go, Oh my gosh, he's like, this thing is going to come out. Like to me, it felt like a very natural progression, but it sounds like it wasn't like the automatic or automagic button for you just to do it. No, it wasn't. I mean, on, on one hand, I did not feel, um, I didn't feel confident that I could write a great book. Um, and I, I was, I actually at one point partnered with a good friend of mine who was going to co-author the book with me because he's written several books before and he was willing to do a lot of the heavy lifting and the writing. And unfortunately, some things in his personal life happened to where he just, he just had to say, I can't do it right now. And, um, and I didn't want to wait on the idea. So then I, um, I partnered up with a writing coach who I hired to help me and was considering hiring him as a ghostwriter to write the book for me. And that's done a lot more than most people realize. A lot of right. books are not written by the named author. They're ghostwritten and the author has the ideas. But it was actually working with that writing coach as we did the outline and we put the structure of the book together. And he looked at some of the things I had written and he was the one who said to me, Chris, you don't need a ghostwriter. You can write this book. And, and, you know, with that endorsement from a guy who has literally sold millions of books and written multiple number one bestsellers, um, you know, that gave me a lot of confidence. And, and I ended up using him as a coach through the entire process, but even during the writing process, you know, I would talk about things like, well, I need to quote an expert on this, or I need to what and he would say, Chris, you are the expert. Right. You know this more than anybody mm. I've ever heard of or talked to. You've been studying it for three years. Quit 
assuming that you've got to have some outside validation. This is the book. You are the expert. And again, that was my own imposter syndrome of feeling like, uh, oh, I've, I've just read about this thing and experienced it, but that doesn't make, you know, I'm not a scientist or a PhD psychologist or something. So I can't call myself an expert. Uh, but I have reached the point that I am an expert on this area. I've looked at it for years. I've talked to hundreds of entrepreneurs and heard their stories. And I've actually developed and proven tactics to overcome imposter syndrome. And that's, that's what the book is about. That's excellent. There's a, a distillation that happens in a book. Oftentimes, I think now, especially in today's world, where there's a lot of things about you know, I can watch a video and you know, that we can listen to a podcast like this podcast right now, ladies mm-hmm. and gentlemen. Um, writing a book is a different type of exercise because it forces your brain almost in a different pattern because you have to think about the medium that you're using and how you're messaging that. Some, there are people who kind of have their medium and they choose it. And when you're writing a book, it's a, a book has been around for a long time. It's going to be around for a long time. Tell us yeah. about how, when you've had talks and you're translating it, you know, you have time now in a book to kind of like, look at the page. You go, Hmm, what am I going to do here? I'm thinking of um, Stand By Me, the movie, you know, where he's typing at the very end. He's at the computer doing all the stuff. Oh, mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. You know, tell people here if they're like, well, I'm not a writer. I'm not this. And you already said, like, there's many people who don't. What's one of the things that helped you do it? It wasn't it probably wasn't like the grandiose, like, aha, here's the idea. Like this was cultivated over time. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it was it was about a two to three year process to get to the point of, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull the trigger and write a book, and and then it was a matter of pulling the right people around me, and 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 let me say that even though I wrote the book, I mean I wrote almost every word that's in the book I wrote myself, it is absolutely a team effort. I could not have done it without my publisher, my writing coach. Um, the researchers and fact checkers and, you know, lots of people that contributed. And then of course the, the packaging of the book is a whole different story and team to do that. But um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely a process. And, um, and now I've, I've talked around that and forgotten your question. I'm sorry, but <laughs> well, it's really good actually, because basically what you're telling me is that, and what you said kind of in the earlier part of it is that you had a coach, you had another coach, you had many other people giving you information. And yeah. while you, you are the expert in this particular topic, one thing that I valued about you is that like, you're very quick to point to somebody and say, hey, how can we collaborate? Because collaboration is something that on this podcast we talk a lot about. And I don't think people realize sometimes when they see the name on the book, when they see the album drop for their artist or whatever, how many people it actually takes like Josh said yeah. earlier, it, it takes, yeah. it, you know, there's no frog on a fence post all by themselves. Like they got there somehow. So yeah. in, let me ask this question in imposter syndrome. Do you, do you find that people feel like they have to be an expert at a certain level, quote unquote, before they do everything? Like are people overburdening themselves with what they feel like they should know before they start? I think so. I, you know, one of the, one of the topics that I talk about in the book and the, and one of the things that I learned and try to teach is that you teaching and learning are not two separate things and, and they're not mutually exclusive in terms of, you know, being able to do one or the other, you can do both. You can teach while you learn and you can learn while you teach and you can, 
you can mentor someone even while you're still learning and developing and growing. You know, I, I think something about our, our traditional education system and the way we're raised, we've sort of developed this cultural idea that you study, 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 then you pass the test, then you're qualified to do something. And then you do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, and then achieve some level of certification or credential before you can be called an expert. And I just don't think life is that linear. I think life is a lot more of trial and error, of learning along the way. Um, I think that you know two people can come together and one person knows half of the information and the other person knows the other half of the information and collectively they have expertise. And so there's all kinds of different ways to piece together um, expertise or the right level of knowledge or experience. And it doesn't have to be a, you know, a linear march towards some final certification or credential that says you're, you're finally qualified to do something or to be called an expert. So there's a lot of stories in the book about learning while doing and learning through trial and error and how um, failure is a part of the process, an important part of the process mm -hmm. of learning and of developing expertise in a particular area. And I really uh, encourage people to start doing things even while you're still learning it because that's one of the best ways to learn is through the experience. We, we 100% agree, I think, with you on that. Uh, this podcast, I think, is proof positive of it with Josh initially saying, like, let's <laughs> podcast. I'm like, what's up? You know, like, I know what it was, but no idea how to actually, like, yeah, content and stuff. And a, and a learning yeah. experience along the way, for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. So let, let's ask a question because, um, you know, for all of us, we're kind of in that, like, Gen X generation of people, right? And this, and so there's people that are still on the earth that are older than us from a previous generation and you have younger folks. And what I've talked to my children about, especially is to lean into those things that like are natural to them. Um, like you had mentioned education and the future of how like quote higher education is going to work in this country. I think we're seeing some of the changes about what that actually means. Uh, Josh and I follow different paths in that regard. And, you know, we we're here, here we are today, ladies and gentlemen, you know, what could you say to somebody younger and we'll say a school age person. Now they're looking at college they're looking at those things, you know, and obviously some professions would warrant like going to a higher education thing. Yeah. When you've mentioned yeah. trial and error, what are the kinds of things that you feel that younger people should start to do now? What trial and error things should they begin at that age to begin to start working through to prepare them for their, you know, the next step, the next step, next step. Well, I think, you know, first, first thing I think is worth saying about education is it's important to know yourself and to, to observe how you best learn. You know, I mentioned that I didn't go to college. And even when we're talking with our children now, I have three teenage boys, um, college is not mandatory for them, but that does not mean that I'm anti-college or right. anti-classroom. Right. You know, some people learn in that very structured environment uh, really well, and others, uh, it's it's not a fit, and so it's important to know how you learn. You know, people are there's auditory learning and visual learning and and tactile and experiential learning and those kind of things. But aside from that, you know, knowing how you learn and trying to position yourself to to your the best modality for you to learn, 
um, I think it's important to experiment and try things inexpensively, but in a way that you can uh, discover how much interest you have and how much joy you may get in out of a certain situation or a certain um, topic or, or domain of, of information, and then step it up from there as you, as you see passion and as you see, you know, interest come out. Much of my career has been fueled by my interests. You know, I, uh, I was in technology years ago and I was a software developer, but I got really interested in um, more of the intersection of business and technology. So I started doing consulting around technology strategy and trying to learn the business side of things and how those interacted. Um, over time, I got really interested in investing and how investment works. And so I started networking towards venture capital and private equity. And I um, you know, found my way into um, some organizations that I was able to, to do some mentoring with entrepreneurs and learn in the process. In fact, there's a great story in the book about how I learned a ton while being called a mentor in an entrepreneurship <laughs> program. And I probably learned as much as the people I was mentoring, but, um, but I was, it, and it wasn't that I was fraudulent or that it wasn't no. helpful to them. Right. I really was helpful to them, but I was also learning a ton. But you're learning uh, on a different level too. Yeah. You're, you're, you're learning level, a, exactly. a different thing. You're at a different yeah, point. The great thing about mentoring, especially in group environments and with organizations like the Entrepreneur Center or a, uh, uh, an accelerator program or something like that, is you're mentoring alongside other mentors who have different ex, uh, expertise than you do. And you're learning mm -hmm. from each other as you're helping a team. So, you know, I sat in a room with an entrepreneur with five or six other advisors and we're going through a rebrand of their company. And so one of the, one of the mentors is a marketing expert um, and they're sort of leading, but the rest of us are contributing and learning along the way. And I took that experience away and later did a rebrand of one of my companies with a lot of what I learned from that experience of quote, mm -hmm. mentoring another uh, startup. And so um, I think, you know, back to your question, Brian, about young people, um, what I would say is try a lot of things, experiment with a lot of things, remain open-minded um, and follow your passions. And it's perfectly okay to think you like something, to try it out a little while and to decide it's not for you or the, the passion sort of faded, you know, talking about teenagers, you, you all remember those days when you had puppy love and, you know, you saw some, some young cute thing and you were just all a, a flutter and, and then, you know, you got to know them a little, you got to know that person a little bit. And you, after a while, the passion just faded and it turns out it wasn't love. It was just, it was just that uh, infatuation. And we get infatuation with ideas. We get infatuation with career choices. We get infatuation with um, skills and talents um, and it's okay to pursue those things without investing a ton in them, just enough to see whether you like it or not. And then don't feel bad about stopping. Don't feel bad about quitting. I think one of the worst pieces of advice that we get uh, in, particularly in business circles, but it happens in a lot of areas is winners never quit and quitters never win. What if you win? And my, you know? <laughs> my response to that is, if you're going to do anything meaningful in life, you're going to have to quit a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> because we start more things than we can finish. Yep. Right. So don't feel bad about being a quitter. In fact, <laughs> you should be trying enough things that you have to quit three quarters of them in order to focus your energy on the stuff that works. 
and, 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 and so being a quitter, yeah. being a quitter is okay. Now, you know, if you're a constant, if you're a, a, a habitual quitter and you get, give up on everything as soon as it gets hard, <laughs> that's, that's a different a, story. That's a problem. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's what the, the people who give that advice are trying to, um, trying to warn against and, and, and avoid is, is quitting just because it gets difficult, but quitting because you've decided, Hey, this is not my passion. I'm going to go a different direction. There's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. And I, I think in that. those young years, it's, it's important to, to try and, and, and to course correct often. And, and that mm-hmm. brings it back to, to what you talked about, like failure. That's, that's really not a failure. That is you learning. And, and that's the lifelong process of learning. Like yeah. when I was a yeah. kid, I remember like I had a grandfather who I don't think he even went past like the sixth grade in education, but every morning he was always reading um, like national geographics and all this stuff he was always reading. He was always learning all his whole life. And he always told us that he's like, I just keep learning. I just, I didn't know what it was about, but I just want to learn about it. He was always watching TV, always learning stuff. And that's how he learned. Cause back then that was kind of like what he had. He pretty much stayed at home all the time, but that kind of instilled upon me that too. And then seeing my own dad do that same thing, just kind of learning. If you wanted to find something out, you just learn it. Now kids today have, you know, the internet, you have like the re- repository of human knowledge at your fingertips, right, pretty much. Right. Whether it's true or not, that's something you have to kind of dig through. But there's so much opportunity there for learning. Absolutely. There is. I, I, for me, learning is a lifelong journey, right? And it's, mm-hmm. a, it's a continual experience that's driven by my passions, my interests, um, and my fascination. And, uh, and I hope it, never ends. And I, I don't intend for it to ever end. We hope it doesn't either, Chris, because I think you'll be uh, inspiring folks for a good long while. Um, let me circle back to one question really quick. And you've said like, hey, I kind of found myself here. And then I found myself here. And then I found myself here. And you kind of talked about the journey. Now, for folks who feel like, well, now I got to quit something. Now I have to go. Okay. Hmm. So, or like, I want to take a jump. And now you're talking to folks and we'll, we'll take it in the business context because that's obviously your, your sphere particularly. How do people ask that question without feeling like, make, feeling like they're coming across as desperate or whatever like that? Like, that could be an intimidating thing. If like, for example, you want to talk to investors, you may not know, but you want to learn and you have an honest curiosity about it. Yeah. What are some things that you could tell people to say, you know what, if I just, if let's say, let's take somebody who's an introvert that maybe they're going like, oh my gosh, I don't even know how to start that. Like, where's a good tip of the spear for them to even start that? Because that opens up a whole door uh, to another realm of possibilities. You know, I think that there's two keys. Um, There's two keys to that. And one of them will resonate with you guys. This podcast is the curiosity continuum. And I think that one of the keys is a genuine curiosity. If you approach someone and you really want to understand what they do, their work, their life's passion. And especially if they're passionate about their work, they will like to talk about it. And so, you know, finding someone that you can say, explain to me how this works, help me understand. Now, if you're trying to get a free Harvard MBA course out of somebody by <laughs> monopolizing their time, that's probably not going to work out. But, right. but to, to, to go to someone and say, I would just really, what you do fascinates me and I would love to understand it. Um, I think a lot of people, if they're passionate about their work, they would enjoy watching the, the, the wonder and the enjoyment on your face as you're listening to what they're saying, 
right? Mm -hmm. um, but the other side of it is what can you offer to them um, that is valuable to them as well and make it a true value exchange. And, and by that, I don't mean sell them something um, or, or, you know, try to convince them that, uh, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to, if you buy my product, then I'm going to learn your business and we're going to become partners somehow. Um, but offer to help, offer to help them, ask them how you can help them in exchange for sharing that knowledge uh, with them and, and explaining. And, you know, some people will say, I, I just enjoyed the conversation. I don't need anything. Others will have a, a you know, a more specific asks or, there may be something that you can do for them uh, to make it worth their time. But, you know, I think that um, asking people and showing a genuine fascination with what they do, you know, so much of our identity is wrapped up in our work. And when you right. show a genuine mm -hmm. fascination and respect for what someone does, you're showing a fascination and respect for them. And more people will appreciate that than, uh, than I think a lot of people expect. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> so, Chris, this has been super helpful. And I think we, we have definitely uh, my eyes to your eyes, to my eyes, to Josh's eyes on a lot of these topics. And so thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I want to make sure that people can find you if they want to find your book, if they want to, uh, you know, talk to you in live and in person or on live and in Zoom. How can they get yeah. a hold of you? Yeah. So my, my main website is chriskelso.com and that is Chris with a K. So K-R-I-S-K-E-L-S-O.com. And, uh, and you can find me there. You can uh, contact me there. You can learn a little bit about some of the work that I do. Uh, the book website is overcomingtheimposter.com. And uh, it's also available everywhere that uh, books are sold. This is a great place, I think, to put a com comma in the conversation. And Chris, I hope that you would, uh, in the future, if we shot you a passenger pigeon or messenger pigeon, that you might consider coming back on the podcast at some time in the future. I would love so, to. Awesome. Until next time, folks, this is Brian. And this is Josh. And this is Chris. For Curiosity Continuum. Thank mm -hmm. you.